Hello, my friends. Lots of news today in the mainstream media about Justin Trudeau and his connection to the Chinese Communist Party. It's great reporting. I absolutely acknowledge the fine work being done by the Globe and Mail and Global News. I can't even believe I'm saying that. I'll also read to you, though, from my book, China Virus, which I wrote three years ago, which has many of the same revelations three years faster than the media party. I'll show you that today. But first, please go to rebelnewsplus.com and subscribe. Rebel News Plus is what we call the video version of this podcast. Obviously, lots to see, but it's also an important way to help us because that eight bucks a month might not seem like a ton of dough to you, but it matters to us. We need it to pay the bills around here because we don't take any money from Trudeau. All right, without further ado, here's today's podcast. Tonight, the Globe and Mail ramps up its scrutiny of China's donations to the Trudeau family. But you probably read that in my book, China Virus, three years ago. It's February 28th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. I've said it before, the Globe and Mail is good on the China issue. You might remember a few years ago when we broke the news of Trudeau training Chinese soldiers from the People's Liberation Army here in Canada on Canadian military bases. It was accidentally disclosed in an access to information document that was only grayed out, not blacked out. It was the biggest scoop of my life. The Globe and Mail put that story on their front page. The CBC completely ignored it. Not one word. Good for the globe. They do a lot of stories on China and China's attempts to undermine and infiltrate our country and our democracy. In fact, I'd say it's a major beat for the Globe and Mail. Steve Chase is the subject matter expert, the reporter over there, and he often collaborates with Bob Fife, their senior reporter over there. When the Globe and Mail wants to do journalism, they do journalism. Give them credit where it's due. And they've been going to work on Justin Trudeau and his links to the Chinese Communist Party lately. Some might say, where have they been all this time? I mean, this video clip here from the Sun News Network, where I worked before Rebel News, this was actually before Trudeau became prime minister. There's a level of of, uh, admiration I actually have for China. Um, Because their basic dictatorship is allowing them uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime and say we need to go green as fast as we need to start you know, investing in solar. I mean, there is a flexibility that I know Stephen Harper must dream about of having a dictatorship that he could do everything he wanted. But still, they're going to work now, and I think part of what's motivating them is that Trudeau is so brazenly lying. Lying while accusing the Globe and Mail of lying. You saw this yesterday when Trudeau claimed only racists would suggest China is undermining Canada. Let me start by being very, very clear. There are 1.7 million Canadians who proudly trace their origins back to China. Those Canadians should always be welcomed as full Canadians and encouraged to stand for office, to get involved in their communities and to take on part of the leadership of this country. That's one of the great things about this country. Let me say that we are extraordinarily lucky and happy to have a member of parliament like Han Dong uh, in our midst, serving his community, serving our country alongside 
Chinese Canadian MPs from different parts of the country alongside an extraordinary diverse group of, uh, of MPs who are proud Canadians even as they trace their origins to elsewhere around the world. And that is as it should be. And I think one thing that gets the Globe and Mail mad and increases the number of leaks to the Globe and Mail from government insiders, in this case from CSIS, is when Trudeau calls CSIS or others liars, as in the nonpartisan civil service, and in this case, the nonpartisan spy agency, when Trudeau seeks to save his reputation by destroying theirs. Trudeau has been doing a bit of that lately, too. It's also very important to highlight that we have national security and intelligence agencies who are there to protect all Canadians of all different origins, as well as our democratic processes. And we always engage with them and listen to them. But let me also be very clear to a really important point that I think uh, some folks are choosing to overlook. In a free democracy, it is not up to unelected security officials to dictate to political parties who can or cannot run. That's a really important principle. We, of course, draw on the expertise every step of the way. But the suggestions we've seen in the media that CSIS would somehow say, no, this person can't run or that person can't run is not just false, it's actually damaging to people's uh, confidence in our democratic and political institutions. So I think that Trudeau's move that he usually deploys against, say, Rebel News or the Trucker Convoy, even the Toronto Sun or the National Post, that is to go personal, to make ad hominem attacks or to call people racist or whatever, I just don't think it works against the Globe and Mail, the ultimate establishment organization. They know they're not racist. They're not worried about the accusation. In fact, it's a sign to them that they're over the target. I have to say Trudeau's response to the reporting on the story reminds me of how he responded to the Globe and Mail's reportage of how Trudeau fired Jody Wilson-Raybould as justice minister for not helping him to get criminal charges dropped against his friends at SNC-Lavalin. The Globe had uh, meticulously reported that story, many sources, very carefully, but Trudeau just flat out denied it, just looked right in the camera and said, it's not true. Remember that? Um, did you or anyone in your office pressure the former attorney general to abandon the prosecution of SNC-Lavalin? Uh, the allegations in the Globe story this morning are false. Neither the current nor the previous Attorney General uh, was ever directed by me or by anyone in my office uh, to uh, take a, a decision uh, in this matter. I think that was the moment Trudeau made the Globe and Mail immune to his lies and gaslighting because they knew he was lying. And credit also to Global News. I can't even believe I'm saying those words. I played a two-minute clip for you yesterday, and I just want to play it again for you now because it was so chock full of news and facts and investigative journalism. And the liberal response to imperiously say, you've got everything wrong, so many things wrong, we're not even going to list them all. Uh, so we won't even tell you actually anything other than it's all wrong. What an absurd alibi. Imagine telling that to a cop who pulls you over for speeding and and driving with a broken taillight and making turns without a turning signal and running a red light to say, officer, you know, you've got so many mistakes in what you say. I can't respond to all of them other than to simply deny every, it's, I it just don't think it's going to work. Um, now, I think that kind of excuse works for Trudeau most of the time in his life, plus in his politics, never apologize, never explain. 
but it doesn't seem to be working this time. Reliably red since 1993, scoring the Liberal nomination in Don Valley North has been harder than winning a general election recently. But instead of leaning on his connections as a former Ontario MPP, sources say Han Dong had help from the Chinese consulate in Toronto to become the 2019 Liberal candidate in the riding. Through a combination of CSIS documents and intelligence sources, Global News has learned the consulate allegedly sent two busloads of Chinese-Canadian seniors to the Don Valley North Liberal nomination meeting. And those seniors knew who to vote for because Don's name was written on their arm. Sources also say CSIS suspected that Chinese international students with faked addresses were bussed in and told by the PRC consulate to support their preferred candidate if they wanted to maintain their student visa status. Dong denied allegations he was helped by Beijing, calling them false accusations that slander me and the community I represent. My nomination in 2019 was open and followed the rules. The Liberal Party of Canada echoed that nomination was open, adding Dong was elected by registered Liberals in a race that followed their national rules. Global News has not verified the allegations against Dong, but even if they are found true, political parties are private organizations and can set their own rules. Non-Canadians can vote in Liberal nomination races if they live in the riding and are party members. This is Han Dong. I'm the Liberal candidate for Dong Mali North. Dong won the nomination, but he still needed Justin Trudeau's stamp of approval to carry the Liberal banner in the suburban Toronto riding one with a sizable diaspora of Chinese Canadians. A senior intelligence official told Global News CSIS shared their concerns about Dong in late September 2019 during a classified briefing with senior Liberal Party staff who hold security clearances. In that meeting, CSIS urged them to rescind Dong's nomination. Despite the alleged warnings to his staff, Trudeau approved Dong's candidacy. During the election, a top Liberal organizer even warned Dong's team that he was allegedly a CSIS target, according to sources. Dong is still an MP today. Global News asked the Prime Minister's office multiple questions, including if Trudeau knew Dong was allegedly a CSIS target. But PMO didn't respond to any of our questions, saying there were so many factual inaccuracies that it wasn't possible to begin to answer any of them. So you have the Globe and Mail. They're big. And Global News, they're pretty big. Doing some real journalism. That must feel good for them. After three years of propagandizing for, for lockdowns and for Pfizer. It's like they're using muscles they haven't used in years. And it looks good on them. And I hope to see more of it, by the way. You know, too much more journalism like that to put Rebel News out of business. Of course, Trudeau's CBC state broadcaster knows its role. Defend the regime. Defend the prince at all costs. Here's their headline on this whole thing. I am serious. This is their headline. Look for yourself. Trudeau denies security officials told liberals to rescind MPs' candidacy. Seriously, the headline is the denial, not the accusation. They don't even say what the accusation is about China in infiltrating and corrupting. The story leads with the denial, not the fact. And then it briefly mentions the accusations. And then the first expert, they quote, says it's a fake accusation. Let me quote, Stephanie Carvin, associate professor of national security at Carleton University, questioned the suggestion that CSIS would ask that a nomination be rescinded. CSIS's mandate allows it to report on threats to the security of Canada. I do not think this would extend to asking the prime minister's office to rescind a nomination, Carvin wrote in a tweet. Oh, well, then that settles it. A professor who receives grant money from the Trudeau government, says she has trouble imagining that this thing happened. So case closed, right? <laughs> um, check this out uh, here, of course. Uh, 
they interviewed, get this, Gerald Butts. Seriously. Who does that? Remember him? He was the corrupt aide to Justin Trudeau, the one who demanded that Jody Wilson-Raybould interfere in that criminal trial, and he was later fired in disgrace over it. Who would talk to him about anything, let alone ethics or corruption or honesty? Well, the CBC, that's who, obviously. He read the story in the Globe, and he knows what the real blockbuster news is, though. He thinks the big news is that someone tattled on his boss. He highlighted that the leak would be illegal if it came from CSIS, and he said this on Twitter. He said, this is the most significant paragraph in this morning's Globe story. Its implications boggle the mind. Is that really the most important thing? That someone leaked to the Globe and Mail that China was paying off Trudeau and the Trudeau Foundation? Is the leak more uh, significant than the substance of the leak itself? Well, for, for Gerald Butts it is, of course. He's terrified of what they might leak about him because do you doubt that Butts himself was given the same briefing? I mean, he's been friends, best buddies since university with Trudeau. Butts was Trudeau's brain until he was fired. He's still obviously deeply involved in Trudeau's government. Butts was their chief candidate recruiter. Do you doubt he was up to his eyeballs in this? But let me close with two things. First, let me read a bit to you from this story in the Globe and Mail today. They're just doing work every day on this stuff. The headline is, CSIS uncovered Chinese plan to donate to Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation. China appears to have targeted Justin Trudeau in a foreign influence operation after he became liberal leader in 2013, according to a national security source who said Beijing's plan involved donating a significant sum of money to the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation. The source said the Canadian Security Intelligence Service captured a conversation in 2014 between an unnamed commercial attaché at one of China's consulates in Canada and billionaire Zhang Bin a political advisor to the government in Beijing and a senior official in China's network of state promoters around the world. They discussed the federal election that was expected to take place in 2015 and the possibility that the liberals would defeat Stephen Harper's conservatives and form the next government. The source said the diplomat instructed Zhang to donate $1 million to the Trudeau Foundation and told him the Chinese government would reimburse him for the entire amount. Huh. That's big news. The story goes on, and it's worth a read. Let me just read a little more. Just weeks after the May fundraiser, talking about a fundraiser, the Trudeau Foundation and the University of Montreal announced that Mr. Zhang and another wealthy Chinese businessman, Yu Gen Sheng, would donate $1 million to honor the memory and leadership of Pierre Trudeau, who as prime minister opened diplomatic relations with China in 1970. Of the $1 million, 200000 went to the Trudeau Foundation which provides scholarships, academic fellowships, and leadership programs. Another 50000 went to the pay for a statue of the elder Mr. Trudeau. And 750000 went to the University of Montreal's Faculty of Law to fund scholarships, which include grants that help Quebec students visit China. Pierre Trudeau graduated from the faculty and later taught there. The Trudeau Foundation, by the way, is basically a huge slush fund for the Trudeau family, friends, political allies. It's where family members get jobs. Here's Sarah Coyne who is the illegitimate daughter of Pierre Trudeau and his mistress, Deborah Coyne. May as well give her a job. Here's Alexandra Trudeau, Justin Trudeau's brother. By the way, Alexandra actually worked directly for the Chinese government. They published his book on China. There are a million publishers in the world. Alexandra Trudeau chose to work with and be paid by the communist government in China. If you look at their list of recipients, 
for grants and type in the word journalist or journalism in the search field, you can see just how many so-called reporters are on the Trudeau payroll directly, literally from the Trudeau Foundation, which means they're on the Chinese Communist Party dime now, now doesn't it? That's what that means. I mean, for example, here's Susan Delacourt. She reports for the Toronto Star, but she, she took money from the Trudeau Foundation. Oh, and surprise, here she is with a loving piece on Justin Trudeau. Let me quote the story. Justin Trudeau is losing ground to Pierre Polyev. He's using Donald Trump to fight back. Got it. I'm sure it's a neutral, objective story. Hey, can I show you something? I read to you about the donations to the Trudeau Foundation from Zhang Bin. That is good stuff in the globe. But let me show you that in my book. Do you remember this book? China Virus, How Justin Trudeau's Pro-Communist Ideology is Putting Canadians in Danger. I wrote it in the spring of 2020 when the pandemic was really new. Now, I got a few things wrong in retrospect. I think I was too worried about the disease itself back in April of 2020 when I wrote the book, April, May. But that was just half the book. The other half is about Trudeau's ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Let me read to you from my chapter called China Buys the Liberal Party. Let me read a few pages to you, okay? I mean, if you don't, if you have the book, you can follow along. Take the Trudeau Foundation, a massive slush fund for not only the Trudeau family, but for Liberal Party hangers on. That's where Trudeau would send Chinese millionaires looking to make donations in exchange for favors, since it was all off the books. One happy donor just happened to be Zhang Bin, a member of China's National Committee of the Chinese People Political Consultative Conference. That's part of the Chinese dictatorship, whose close uh, comparison would probably be the Canadian Senate. Zhang happily spread a million dollars around Montreal, including $200,000 that wound up in the Trudeau Foundation and a staggering $50,000 for a statue of Pierre Trudeau. It's possible that a Chinese Communist Party boss had a true affection for the Trudeau family. The Trudeau certainly have an affection for China. But Zhang's official biography makes it clear his goal is, quote, enhancing the global influence of China. What exactly did Zhang seek to influence? And how would we even know how we went about it? No one who has watched the grifting by Trudeau and his family can be genuinely surprised that they accept dark money from foreign dictators. But Trudeau has invented something completely new, having a sitting Canadian cabinet minister working for the Chinese Communist Party on an actual committee, quote, in support of the national five-year plans. As in Trudeau is returning the favor to his Chinese dictator friends, the China Council for International Cooperation on Environment and Development is not a bilateral organization that serves both China and Canada, like a chamber of commerce or a diplomatic group. It is an actual office of the Chinese government, and Canada's environment minister, Jonathan Wilkinson, actually works for it, as did his predecessor, Catherine McKenna. You can see this is dated a little bit because Stephen Gilbo is the environment minister now. The council's membership list is obviously dominated by Chinese bureaucrats. There are a few expats who come from the world of the United Nations, but the only sitting politician from another country who goes to work for the government of China is Trudeau's environment minister. Here's an excerpt from the official About Us charter of the council, wholly owned by the Chinese dictatorship. CCICED will provide policy analysis and recommendations, technical support, best practice support experience, and early warning in support of the national five-year plans and China's goal of building moderately well-off Xiaokeng society. Again, this is not a Chinese-Canada 
trade group. It's got nothing to do with Canada other than we pay for it and we actually make Canadian cabinet ministers do it. No other country actually embeds its cabinet ministers in a foreign government and tasks them with making Chinese people better off. No mention of our own country. It's nuts. Even more incredible, Canadian taxpayers cover the cost of this. We pay $1.6 million a year to the Chinese government for the privilege of sitting on their council to help them meet their five-year plans. I'm almost done reading from my book. How did that ever come to be, and how on earth did it continue, despite China seizing Canadian hostages, stealing Canadian trade secrets, boycotting Canadian agriculture, and lying to us about the virus? That's from my book, published three years ago. There are a lot of details in the book, some of which was my own research, some of which is footnoted, as you can see, from other media. There are, of course, new details being broken in the reports in the Globe. They, they actually have a CSIS agent telling them the inside story. That is new. And the fact that Trudeau and likely Gerald Butts were warned but waved off, the warning is stunning. But even today, there is censorship on this file. As you know, my book, China Virus, was a bestseller. It was allowed on Amazon, but then banned, but then allowed back again. Now, I just went there today and it's banned again. I didn't even know that. Only the audio book is available for some reason. They have literally banned the book again. They banned it. Who? Who's they? Who banned it? Trudeau? China? <laughs> These days, that's probably the same thing, isn't it? Stay with us for more. Well, I think the last three years has been a disaster for experts because experts asked us to rely on their authority, and in the end, they were proven inaccurate. It reminds me of the Milgram experiment. You might recall there was the ash conformity test, and then there was the Milgram experiment, where I think the professor's name was Stanley Milgram, sent someone in wearing a white lab coat and a clipboard to tell people to do outrageous things, in the case of his experiment, to inflict physical pain on someone in another room, who was actually just an actor pretending to be uh, in pain, to inflict an electric shock on them when they answered stupid questions wrong. And the whole point of the Milgram experiment, which was proven, uh, which was shockingly proven, is that if someone looks authoritative and if they wear a white lab coat and they insist that they're right, well, people follow that to the point of torturing their fellow man. This was an experiment that, like the Ash Conformity Test, sought to explain how a modern, liberal, educated civilization like Germany could have become what it did become under the Nazis. How did that happen? Well, I'm not comparing the next subject to Nazism, but I'm saying that obedience to experts who have studies and clipboards and white lab coats, I think it is a weakness in our uh, social national psyche. And that weakness was shown during the pandemic and the lockdowns. Because look at this headline from climatedepot.com. Climate change blamed for 8,000 gun deaths in new study in Journal of the American Medical Association. So you know it's true. Claims association between temperature and shootings. 
Joining us now is the editor of ClimateDepot.com, Mark Morano. Mark, I've never heard this one before. And if there's some expert with a white lab coat and a clipboard telling me it's true, it's got to be true that climate change has caused 8,000 gun deaths. This one I got to hear. I got to hear this one. How do they, how do they square that circle, Mark? Well, first of all, you know, you keep in mind, there's the doctors in Canada who, for the first time ever, and this is in fall of 2021, diagnosed the first patient as suffering from climate change. You have academics in Australia in a peer-reviewed study calling for climate change to be listed as a cause of death on, on death certificates. And now you have this study. And here's the interesting thing. This is, as you mentioned, Ezra, this is in the Journal of the American Medical Association, premier medical and public health journal. I'm not on this show hyping up some Greenpeace blogger. I found some obscure, you know, panelist at a Friends of the Earth. No, this is a peer-reviewed study in the Journal of American Medicine, the top flight medical and public health journals of the world. This is a pairing. And, the, and I'll simplify the study for you in real simple terms. They actually believe that if you that warmer because in summer there's more crime. Because global warming is said to be increasing temperatures, we should expect more crime. And this is one of the, the basis of this, of this study. And this is not a first time thing. About 2014, a United Nations uh, climate scientist, uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say climate scientist, but a United Nations affiliated academic did a study claiming that barroom brawls, rapes, vehicle thefts and all sorts of crime would increase as global warming increased on that same premise that warmer weather brings more crime. And of course, this is nonsense. You can go back and I did this at the time in 2014. It may no longer be true, but from the 1970s cooling, when they're worried about a coming ice age, until the, the at least the 2000 teens, there had been dramatic reductions in crime both in the United States, Canada, all Western societies. And if you look at that, we warm since the global cooling scare. So the correlation didn't add up there. And of course, the other thing, the obvious thing here that this study doesn't even address are Soros prosecutors, no funding for, mis no prosecution of misdemeanors. And of course, the defund the police movement. There's a lot of other factors besides temperature that deal with crime. Yeah, it, it's just such a reach. But of course, where there's money, you will find studies and grant-seeking scientists. We, I think we all are learning that, again, on the COVID side. Um, climate change is the cause of all these heart attacks amongst young men, apparently. Um, yes. I'd never heard that one before, but they need to uh, misdirect, I think, from the real cause. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that have to do with the uh, crime rates. I mean, I think Rudy Giuliani, as mayor of New York City, is probably did more single-handedly to change the crime rate in America than any other factor. He just simply Absolutely. arrested and jailed people for you know, his broken windows theory of James Q. Wilson, arrest people for right. the small stuff, you'll build up to catch them for the big stuff, arrest them for jaywalking, arrest them for vandalism. And that cleaned up America's largest city, which was one of America's most dangerous cities. That one man did it. And yeah, I don't think it was global warming. I, I think that, uh, I, here's my question for you. You and I look at this and we laugh, but how many people out there said, well, a scientist said it, an expert said it, Someone in a white lab coat and a clipboard said it, so I may as well shock this stranger in the other room. I may as well believe this absurd study. Do a lot of people still believe this, or is this just a little cottage industry of grant-seeking uh, academics looking for some dough? 
Well, it's absolutely grant-seeking academics looking for dough on one hand. But on the other, you're going to get 40% of the population to agree. The same way you'll see them double masking when Fauci says it, the same people who immediately comply with all the vaccine mandates, who go along because they think it's for their own good and the good of society. Now, this study actually says, and I'm quoting now, increase in warmer temperatures due to climate change may create environments with higher risk of firearm violence in the future, unquote. So what they're doing here is they're scaring you. So here's the thing. If you don't support the UN Paris Agreement now or the Green New Deal, the message of this study is you are a you are a killer with guns. Instead of being like, if you don't wear a mask, you're a grandma killer. If you don't support lockdowns, you're a grandma killer. Now, if you don't support climate mitigation measures, you're killing 8,000 people because of the increase in gun violence it will cause. And this is how, and the same thing they're doing with COVID and climate. They're now saying that unchecked virus, unchecked climate change leads to more viruses. So if you don't support a WHO pandemic treaty, for example, you are now a grandma killer because of that. So what this is doing is it's creating a template, a narrative, among that 40%, and here's the key, this is the part that kills us, Ezra. These aren't an inconsequential 40%. These are generally the academic elite ruling class and the people in bureaucrats, governments, cabinets, prime ministers, presidents, their staff, and, and sadly, most of our elected officials. That's the problem, is the 40% that fall for this will gleefully use it as another argument to push their policies to mitigate climate, to mitigate COVID. It's another fear-mongering tactic. You know, uh, it's probably enough to invoke the Emergencies Act in Canada. That used to be just <laughs> yeah. for national dangers like a revolution or an insurrection. But uh, after the judge uh, ruled it completely legal because there was some horn honking, it wouldn't surprise me if there was a climate emergency that was used as a justification to bring in martial law. I'm actually not joking, Mark. If they can call yeah. bouncy castles and, um, you know, hot tubs uh, and some horn honking, a justification for martial law, then th surely this study from experts in the Journal of American Mental Association, it's, that's surely proof enough. You know, I was thinking but, about, uh, I think it was Jordan Peterson who said, there's something deep in our DNA that we stick together for safety. And you can see that in the natural kingdom. You can see, you know, lions and tigers when they attack you know, wild buffalo or zebras, they go for the ones that are off away from the herd. You don't see lions dashing into a huge herd that get kicked or stomped. And I think there's probably something in our genes that we stay with other people for safety. Fish are in a school for reasons of safety. Yeah. And I suppose it's just safer to go with what the experts say, just to go with the dominant narrative. Maybe there's yeah. something deep within our genes that is conformist that says, well, this might be crazy, but everyone else is doing it. And I'll probably be safer, socially safer, physically safer, emotionally safer, politically, if I just do and say what everyone else is doing and saving. Maybe there's something deep within us that that is a conformist. I don't know. I'm because why else would people obey such absurd studies? Yeah, I mean, we could have questioned this, but March of 2020 changed our world. And we saw things like the milligram experiment, where the more absurd they got, the more willing most of the public was to go along with it. And unfortunately, I think the early days it seemed like 80% of the public was going along or more. 
And then every month that, you know, less and less public would defer to these experts. But it's absolutely, it's a psychological terror. It's a psychological operation. This is what they were doing. Now, who would think we'd be eating bugs? But what they've done as a psychop, they're introducing cricket-based snacks uh, that are based in, uh, you know, all this flour and crispy and fat. So they don't look or taste like crickets, but they're giving them to elementary kids. That's a psychop. So later on in life, they'll say, oh, I ate insects. They were fine. They're doing the same thing in Europe to kids. This is how they weaponize the psychology of fear. And a key thing to mention here is you were talking about how they can declare these, you know, all these associations and emergencies. We've had the New York governor want to declare a gun violence emergency. We've had people talk about a misinformation emergency. In the United States, we're talking about Joe Biden declare a national climate emergency, which would give him 130 powers, executive powers. Now, if we think now this is a peer reviewed study, what are you, a science denier? If you think that gun violence is going to increase, 8,000 people are going to die because we're not doing anything about climate. Under a climate emergency, is it really that hard in the post uh, COVID lockdown world to imagine a president of the United States attempting to seize guns or to issue massive gun control without any legislation under emergency powers because of a study like this warning of more gun violence? That is where I think the true genius of this study lies. They're laying the groundwork through the established organs of our ruling class in our countries to, to lay the foundation for judges to say, well, this is in a prestigious journal saying gun violence will increase. The president has declared an emergency. He has these powers. We now have to start banning guns because of the excess deaths we're concerned about. That is not far-fetched. I sound like a nut saying it, but it's 2023. I would have been a nut saying it in 2019, but yeah. not now. <laughs> That's incredible. You know, um, you probably don't know this because I don't know if you were following that closely, but when Justin Trudeau invoked martial law, when he invoked the Emergencies yeah. Act, which had never been used in Canadian history, not even during 9-11, the response from the media was overwhelmingly, go harder. Yeah. Like it wasn't shock or... Uh, calling, telling him to put on the brakes. It was where is the you've you've pushed the panic button now. Start swinging the batons, start stomping people. Yeah, the media was exuberant. They wanted to see blood. It was like they were at a wrestling match or something. So what you're saying, uh, I think that all the global warming media, the Greta Thunbergs of the world, would be absolutely cheering for a climate revolution, literally a revolution. I believe it. I want hey, you know what? When you said that, you reminded me. I want to say, Mark, I think it was early March of 2020, you were the very first person I spoke to who was a skeptic on the risk of COVID-19. I will admit, for at least a couple of weeks, I thought there was a real risk. It was something, not like black death, but... You know, I, I had seen those propaganda videos out of China with people literally falling in the streets. Exactly. I had seen, you know, yeah, I was I was a little bit worried. And you were the first voice on this show to say, come on, this is like the Y2K thing. And I thought, geez, Mark, I mean, I like that you're a contrarian. I like that you're a skeptic. But on this, come on, get, look at use your own eyes. I mean, I, I, I didn't quite say that, but I, I thought, boy, you're you you're certainly um taking a bold step there. You were the first person I met who was a skeptic. And in the end, you've been absolutely redeemed on that. And uh, I like to think of myself as a skeptic and a contrarian and a critic, but I think for a couple of weeks, I bought into it. 
Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I mean, I was this in March of 2020. And the reason I think I was so skeptical is I'd seen what public health had done with the vaping crisis, how they just used an illegal black market vape to literally try to ban all vaping. And then cigarette rates went up as well. So it's, you know, regardless of what you think of vices, cigarette smoking has proven more dangerous than vaping. Uh, and I saw public health, the way they handled that. But more importantly, I followed the work of Michael Fomento for decades, right. Science Under Siege. He right. had detailed a lot of the stuff you're seeing now from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was written about decades ago by Michael Fomento about Anthony Fauci, about NIH, about the AIDS virus, about past uh, the virus scares. So I was extremely skeptical that anything that had Anthony Fauci's name on it uh, in March 2020, we were being had and we were had and probably in our lifetimes, uh, I can't think of an equivalent of what happened. Not so much that the virus did or didn't exist, but that the solution to the virus was pure and uh, unbelievable, mm -hmm. raw authoritarianism. And they're ready to keep it going. Bill mm -hmm. Gates, number two funder of the World Health, says follow Australia. We have the Biden administration pushing for this pandemic treaty beyond what even the WHO does. So in essence, we haven't learned anything on a government level, but let's hope that the public engages in mass resistance uh, if any future restrictions like this come down the pike. Well, some will, that's for sure. But I, I have to tell you, every day in this city, I see people with masks or double masks. Yeah. Even they're outside snowing. They're outside wearing two masks by themselves in the snow. If that's how it is, Mark, when they bring, if they bring back another crisis, yeah. do you think that person, he would be the first uh, person to sign up? I don't know. I um you had an advantage if you knew who Anthony Fauci was and you knew his history. And I did not. I had never heard of him until this. And so I think you knew enough about health scares that that, that armed you. I took it on good faith and I, I kicked myself for being naive, but I think I sobered up pretty quickly on this stuff. Well, I want to say one thing. I, would, I just gave a speech in Orlando, Florida at the Heartland Climate Conference. The focus of my speech was there's a 1985 book called Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Well, I retitled that book to Everything I Needed to Know About COVID I Had Learned in the Climate Debate. Mm. Come up with, and I, everything was so familiar, come up with scary models of death and doom unless we follow some big authoritarian government response. Right. And I went through point after point, then you smear your opponents. I used examples of how they smeared scientists in climate, how they smeared them in uh COVID. I went through uh, all the examples of government uh, overreach and uh, all, I mean, the similarities, I, John Kerry is who I used. He said the similarities between COVID and climate are screaming at us. And it was an amazing thing because all the solutions were the same. All the tactics were the same. Then claiming we own the science, the UN claimed it on climate. And of course, government said, we own the truth. We uh, and, and Anthony Fauci said, I represent science unbelievable imperatives. I gave a 25 minute speech just on that. And I think that is why I was so skeptical because it just, I literally was watching the climate debate play out in real time in a matter of say two months, yeah. what I had witnessed over two decades. Yeah. You know what? I, I really didn't know much about our Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I knew he was uh, involved with the water keepers and he had some environmental bona fides like that. I never really knew that much about him. And by the way, shocking development. And I just gave this at Heartland and it wasn't received by a lot of climate skeptics. He called for the jailing of climate skeptics 2014. But if you look at his children's defense fund, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., 
He literally has now had articles warning of climate lockdowns, articles warning of the United Nations wow. and climate agenda, articles warning against sustainability. There is no way Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is the same Robert F. Kennedy Jr. five years ago supporting all the climate hysteria. He can't be because he wow. would have to recognize the wow. same people, the same tactics, the same model of science, the same authoritarianism wow. is in both. So I urge your re readers and listeners and viewers to go look at the Children's Defense Fund of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He's got some great material there yeah. warning now of how they're using climate to do similar type COVID stuff. I would have never thought it. Now, for the Democracy Fund, we hosted Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, yeah. for an hour. And I learned so much from him and I and I and my respect for and I and I couldn't believe that I was thinking and feeling this way because, you know, his family, the iconic, ultra-liberal, essential liberals. But I'll give him this. He's intellectually honest. He's fiercely yeah. independent. He doesn't give a care about what popular opinion has to say. Uh, and and maybe it comes from being the son of the late Robert uh, F. Kennedy and, and, the, and the nephew of John F. Kennedy and their service and their sacrifice. Maybe he just doesn't care what the mean kid says. I learned so much from him and I couldn't, and I, I, I felt liberated from, I'm not going to say I was prejudiced against him, but I just wouldn't have given him the time of day. It was exactly. probably the most interesting hour I had spent on the whole subject. And and he's very rigorous too. And he's, we're, we're both in the RFK Junior fan club, it sounds like. And I saw, <laughs> uh, I saw James O'Keefe of Project Veritas uh, visiting with him. There was a little selfie that they they posted well, on Twitter the other day. That made me feel good too. Last word to you, Mark. Yeah, I was gonna say the, the key to Robert, you said it, is intellectual curiosity and honesty. He he called us, you know, he said climate skeptics should be jailed at The Hague with, with three square meals and a cot. I write in my book, The Great Reset, all is forgiven for him standing up against the vaccine mandates, the mask mandates, against public health authoritarianism, the lockdowns. He knows how to build coalitions. He's going on your show. He's going on Tucker Carlson. He's going on conservative podcasts. He is willing now to work and create new alliances, as are people like Russell Brand and Jimmy Dore. I recommend you get Jimmy Dore on your show if you can. He's phenomenal. Uh, and uh, also Russell Brand. This is a new coalition between people who want freedom versus tyranny. It's not left-right anymore. And yeah. they were trying to divide us mm -hmm. on left-right issues, yeah. be it race, be it the woke agenda, be it transgender. We have to keep our eye on the bigger prize, which is just pure freedom versus tyranny. Yeah. And that's where we can work with these yeah. uh, honest liberals. You're so right. I, and, and the pandemic has really shown that uh, it's a new coalition. I find myself working with uh, people who I wouldn't even have considered uh, four years ago. Well, great to see you. And thanks for the update. And uh, keep up the fight down there. Thank you, Ezra. Appreciate right, it. I'll be in Canada. I'll, I'll be in Calgary uh, coming up this week at an event in Calgary, uh, given a keynote on climate lockdowns. Well, that's great. We've got a lot of supporters in Calgary, and we'll put that information on the screen and under that under this video. Well, there you have it. Mark Morano, the boss of ClimateDepot.com. Stay with us. Your letters to me next. Hey, welcome back. Your viewer mail. The Salty Duke says, Hi, Ezra. On your story about Chinese interference, great work, but Handong is only part of the story. The fact that the app TikTok has been allowed on government mobile phones for years before it was just banned is what we should really know. How many confidential government meetings have been recorded? How many private conversations from elected officials have been recorded and captured by this bite dance app that is a Chinese Communist Party-controlled entity? 
This app has been a known privacy breach for years, as was previously reported by Rebel News. I think it would be far more interesting to know which government officials had this app on their phones to understand how compromised our government really is. Keep up the great work. Well, not just that. In fact, I just saw today the independent news website called Blacklocks reported that the government of Canada advertises more than a million bucks a year on TikTok. So they're deeply into TikTok. Stephen Urquhart writes, keep Canadians safe. That's all he ever says. They must have focus grouped that line and found it plays well with the liberal voting base. Yeah, they tell us they're keeping us safe from so many things, from the virus. All you have to do is stay locked in your home. From misinformation, all you have to do is let Trudeau censor things. He's certainly keeping us safe, isn't he? Safe from our own choices and our own freedom. Between the Lines 55 says, Suzuki is an expert in anarchy. Well, I think he supports anarchy, but he's very much an establishment man. I used to do a lot more research on Suzuki. Uh, when I last checked in on him, he has four homes. He's a multi-multi-millionaire. Um, obviously, he receives a lot of money from the CBC, but th at the same time, he has a whole charitable foundation named after him that receives millions of dollars, including from offshore interests. So yeah, he is an anarchist in the streets, but an establishment man in the sheets. That's our story for today. Thanks for watching. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom.